today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the Sixers' road win over the Sacramento Kings, snapping their nine-game road losing streak, about Joel Embiid's eventual return to the lineup, which could be as early as this Wednesday, about how the team will look when Joel Embiid does return, and about where you want them to finish in terms of playoff seating. With that out of the way, enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Right from the jump, let's get this out of the way so we can stop bugging you. Uh, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat, the name of this podcast. Get 40% off of a yearly subscription, and you can read everything that Rich, Mike, and myself write about your Philadelphia 76ers. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. Are you... uh struggling on the end of your road trip it's honestly been it's been pretty good uh i'm now in a hotel in san francisco downtown san francisco getting ready for what as we are recording this will be tonight's game against the golden state warriors steph curry second came back from his broken hand um the changing venues i think has reinvigorated myself a little bit uh five days in la was great i think i was ready for a little bit of a change like you were saying though before i left sacramento a real underrated portion of this road trip. And look, I say that and I experienced pretty much none of Sacramento. I had two takeaways from my time in Sacramento. (laughs) First of all, I was driving from Los Angeles to Sacramento, which by the way, I was expecting more out of that drive. I'll be honest. Um, It was dark for the first half of it, but it was pretty much once you got out of the LA suburbs, everything between Sacramento and LA was farmland. And I was not entirely expecting that. It felt honestly a lot like Indiana, but with mountains in the background is the way I would describe it. So very disappointed in that. But I had two takeaways from my time in Sacramento. The first, I was 10 miles out of Sacramento. My GPS said I was 10 minutes away from the arena and I was surrounded by farms. Like just as an East Coaster, that was a little bit shocking. I'm like, there's no way I can be 10 minutes away from a city that holds an arena that holds 20,000 basketball fans. Like it just seems impossible. My second takeaway was, holy crap, this is convenient because I drove in. On a work on a, on a, a, a work day, drove into town with no traffic, super convenient. My hotel the, there's basically a the arena and then a mall and then my hotel, which was in one big like complex. So I was able to park, get myself situated, walk, find food, and get to the arena. And that was like a three minute walk. And it's just as a traveling writer, Sacramento was perfection and. Very nice arena, very nice downtown area, very nice and convenient complex, and I was very happy. Now, would I want to live in Sacramento? No, probably not. But like I said, as a traveling beat writer, it was you had a lot of different experiences on this trip. Five days in LA, pretty much self-explanatory. It's five days in LA. Downtown San Francisco, really fun place to be. And Sacramento, super convenient. So I've been, it's been an okay trip. It's been an okay trip. We should change our name from... The Philadelphia or uh, the Sixers beat a Philadelphia 76ers podcast to the Sixers beat a Philadelphia 76ers and Sacramento appreciator podcast. <laughs> yeah. Or at least like down, I said, if, downtown. if I had to spend significant and I mean, downtown seemed nice. I had no time to explore it. So I really only know that 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 one area with the uh, the hotel and the the arena it seemed nice enough. But um, I have a feel let's put it this way. I could, I could I, if you were a max level free agent, I could see why it would probably be a little bit difficult to attract talent. Yeah, I, I get that. The um, 
There are some high rollers that go there, though, as the Kevin Arnovitz story about the uh, – I forget exactly what the level of fraud that the person in their front <laughs> office was doing, but it was uh, yes. it was quite a tale for sure. The uh, the one thing that I thought was pretty funny, I was watching the Lakers-Bucks game on Friday night. They, You know how on the national broadcast they have coming up on national TV, like the, the following game? Sure. They skipped right over the Sixers game the next night. That game is, you know, unless I see Mark Zumoff pop up out of nowhere and is calling the game with Serena winners tonight or uh, at, at. We can. I mean, we already admitted when we're recording this podcast. Yeah, my mind. You can say tonight. It's in cool. a pre- in a pretzel on that one, but uh, <laughs> there. I think ABC and ESPN. I guarantee you, Mike Breen and. Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson will be at the Lakers Clippers game on Sunday. So uh they're they're just kind of pretending it's not it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Well, it got a tiny bit more juice with the return of Steph Curry, but yeah, there is a, a lot of star power out on this one, for sure. But speaking of that nice arena, that was a nice win. Against the Kings. Yeah. Thought you were in a prediction business. Well, um, no, it was uh, it's true. You're you're in two relatively new nice arenas in, in Northern California. But yes, I am talking about the artist formerly known as Sleep Train Arena. Or is it still known as Sleep Train Arena? I don't even know. <laughs> no, Golden One Center. Okay. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple things I took away from this. First is that Shake Milton played another really good game. He's played a lot stop? of really good games. What was that? When's it going to stop? It's yeah, I don't know. He's played a lot of really good games here since uh, January 20th, 22nd, somewhere in that range, late January, when he really entered the rotation again. Uh, the Sixers answered every run that the Kings had, which isn't something this team always does. You know, the Kings went on a number of pretty big runs. 12-0 yep. in the first quarter, I think there was that disastrous 12-0 run in the first quarter, which <laughs> Brett had an all-bench lineup. Seemed like an eternity he had it in. It was only really like two minutes, uh, but that was enough to do quite a bit of damage. They, <laughs> they rebounded and finished a quarter strong and rebuilt that lead up pretty quickly. And then you had the third quarter where the Kings went on another run midway through, and then Howell Neto just caught fire. Scored, I think, 14 of the Sixers' final 19 points in the third quarter. And before that, like, one of my observations was probably going to be like, wow, they really need, like, a more playable backup point guard in the playoffs. And then Howell went absolutely insane. Made a couple of bang-bang three-pointers, pushed the lead back up. And then the fourth quarter, they went on another run. I forget exactly what it was, but the Sixers rebounded once again and took control of the game. Every time the Kings threatened, the Sixers had an answer. And that's not something this team always has. So that was takeaway number two. And takeaway number three was the excellent ball movement, which resulted in made shots. And both are things, you know, I think when we, when you play a lot through Joel in the post, there are trade-offs, pluses and minuses for that. Pristine ball movement usually isn't one of the pluses. So it was nice to see them adapt their style of play. But that being said, there's still a lot of times this team generates a lot of open, makeable shots, and they just don't go in. So the fact that they're shooting, I think they're shooting uh, 45% on something like 43-point attempts per game. Love it. So far in this three-game road trip, it really does like, and look, this has been a feel-good trip. They're one and two so far with one more to go. The two games that they lost were expected losses considering who they didn't have and who they were playing. This is a generally feel-good road trip. And deservedly so. Like, uh, defense has been a, a a tire fire, and I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> the offense has been really well executed. But would we be praising that execution if those shots weren't going in? 
I mean, I'd like to think we were. I like to think we are process over results kinds of guys. But making shots does drive the narrative, and they are making shots right now. Make or miss league. The uh, yeah, no, it's a good point. If if the shots weren't going in at this level, I think I looked up the um, and, and I just want to make sure I have the number right. I looked up over the last four games, so that also includes the Knicks home game before the trip started. Without Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons in those four games. And look, it's a, it's a four-game sample, so nothing crazy there. 122 offensive rating, good for second in the league, behind the ridiculous Los Angeles Clippers, just barely behind them. They are, uh, you know, they're shooting the ball really well, but it's, uh, to your point about are we process guys or are we just praising the shots going in, we were praising them after the Lakers game and the Clippers game when they you know, they lost, but they, they were spreading the floor, creating good looks. You know, Shake was getting to the basket. I, you know, I really enjoy watching these guys play. They, it's a very confident offensive group. And like you said, the ball movement is just excellent. And some of that is uh, Al Horford had some really big plays in that game. The uh, Did you see the postgame video after that game? Post game video and what like regard? The, like Brett's ringing the bell ceremony that they uh, they often. Oh post. no, I didn't. I miss that. So they they do that. I think they do that pretty much after every win. But uh, I thought it was funny. Of course, when Brett says plus forty one, I don't think I've ever seen that on a stat sheet. They pan to Horford. He is quietly in the corner drinking his smoothie, <laughs> like he always drinks. Um, pretty pretty unassumingly. But yeah, I thought like like you said, Neto hit those shots. There was a stretch in that third quarter where a couple of those Neto threes were straight off of Al Horford getting an offensive yep. rebound and kicking the ball out after a double team in the post. They uh, one of my favorite Brett isms is uh, we're gonna horse a player. <laughs> I was I'll let you get back to that I was in LA I, th- I think it was a Lakers game I think it was the second one and Breton in his pregame busted out a horses for courses and afterwards all of the home media was just standing around in a circle like trying to figure out what horses for courses meant and, I still uh, don't know what it means so they are they, I mean it means adjusting like your personnel for the opponent I think it's generally what he means okay. but there was a, a lot of confu- confusion on that one I'm sorry go ahead no, but I like when he says we're going to horse a player, which just means, I think it means post up or, or it means give the ball to them a lot. He yeah, says I, 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 just based off of uh, how it's worded, I would think like, just like, you know, kind of like, like, like ride them, like have them carry you. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I don't know. So, and he's like, we're going to horse Al Horford. And I think anybody who listened to our last podcast knows, I don't think horsing him is a great strategy, but he played well in this game. No. <laughs> Last podcast, we were beating him like a dead horse. Yes. The, uh, you know, as it turns out, Derek, playing against Alex Lynn, <laughs> yeah. it's a little easier than Anthony Davis. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the funny thing is it, those feel good losses in LA. They feel even better now. Those LA teams are killing everybody right now. Yeah, and look, I mean, they, so, so I mean, they they slept walk through part of that game for sure. But they, I mean, they they executed well. Yeah. So four wins in a row. 
for the Sixers, if you count the moral victories, so that's good. <laughs> but yeah, know, no, it's, it's, it's funny. Even I not lo- counting moral victories, this team is 7-4 and four in our last 11 games. Oh, it's a feel-good set. I swear, if you just logged on to Twitter, you would have no idea. No, and, and look, granted, like there's Kings wins in there. There's there's uh, which, wins. I mean, King, Kings were Kings have won six out of the last seven, and I think six in a row at home. Um, but they're still a sub five hundred team. There's a Knicks win in there. Uh, there's some not great competition, but still, like you know, seven and four. The uh, yeah, and they have a shot. We said before the trip. They were much more likely to go 0 and 4 than 2 and 2. Well, here's your chance. National TV, Steph Curry on a minutes limit. Although they gave uh, gave somebody good a uh, Toronto. They gave them Toronto, a good game. Toronto, yeah, he played like 28 minutes in that one too. Yeah, so it's it's not gonna be easy. But to be fair, the rest of the Warriors really stink. So you have a chance. Maybe we'll get a Glenn Robinson or, or Alec Burks revenge game. That was the Sacramento game was a good Alec Burks game. Yes, and, especially in the second half, late. Yep, and he is the definition of results over process. Because oh yeah. <laughs> when I say good Alec Burks games, I just mean ball went in the Those hoop. Those bad shots went in. <laughs> he uh, he shoots a really flat basketball. By yes. the way, line drives flat. It. The release is like far out in front of his face. Takes a little bit of time. Not not a typical shooting motion for sure. Not aesthetically pleasing by any means. But a needed skill set. So it yeah, is. that I mean, was. I a, mean, he, he gets the line. Like some of his wild drives result in in good results too. So, I mean, he he legitimately does bring a skill set that they need. It's kind of like how I phrase it when they traded for him. Like it's a skill set that they need, but you hope in the future that you get someone a little bit better than Alec Burks to run it. And it really does. You know, going back to the the Neto point, it is sort of striking how little Brett trusts him to run the offense. Like he does not trust him as an on ball point guard. And I get that. Like, the Sixers have a bunch of players who, if the pass isn't right in front of their face, they're not going to see it. And Burks is, like, I'm referring specifically to Harris and Burks. Harris, I think, is a more willing passer than Burks. He just, the vision just isn't there. Whereas Burks is has a lot more tunnel vision. And it really does show, like, with Ben Simmons out, like, it would be great to have, like, they had to turn to Howell Neto again. And look, I'm not as anti-Howell as... A lot of people, especially when he's making those spot up threes like he was. I'm anti But there's, there's a huge defensive trade off when you're talking about putting a six foot one guy out there. How about the Aaron Fox like, just bullying him? Oh, yeah. Like he can't, he can't. I mean, I think you said this a couple of podcasts back. Like it was one thing when we were comparing him to Trey Burke, and you could be like, okay, yeah, he's a better defender than that. He's still a, a liability on that end. And he would like someone who is not. And theoretically, that would be Alec Burks, but because you can't trust him to really run your offense, or at least because Brett doesn't trust him. To really run the offense, you're sort of forced into and look. Assume, assuming Ben Simmons comes back before the playoffs, which I'm not sure if that's an assumption that I'm willing to go on the record for. But in this conversation, assuming that happens, like how old Neto's not getting playoff minutes? It'll be Simmons as a starter, and then I mean, at this point, for sure, Shake Milton getting the backup run. But it, it does go to show, like you would like somebody that you trust their decision making a little more in that role than Alec Burks. So let's not even fast forward to the playoffs because agree with you. I mean, there's just a lot of unknown. With, a lot of unknown. With Everything's ben. an unknown. But Shams reported that Joel is probably going to come back. He's targeting he's a Wednesday return, as I believe how it was phrased. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, like a, a two week injury, he'll have 
three additional days off. Not a lot of basketball after this game here. We one game in I think six days. I think I think there's one game in Good. the next calendar week after this one, which I'm not complaining about. But uh if Joel comes back, do you think there are any lessons they can take from their offense specifically? Because like look, the defense is gonna get a lot better. Just just by himself, the uh the numbers with him and no Ben this season have been excellent because the defense has been excellent, because when Joe Embiid plays defense, your defense is excellent. But are there any lessons you can take away from how they've played over this stretch when they've been hot offensively that they can translate when the big guy comes back? Yeah, make uh, make shots. Yeah, that, that really helps. does help. Um, you do wonder sometimes if maybe the ball movement is just a little bit crisper. Maybe the passes are a little bit more on target that they're getting like a split second more or they're a little bit more in rhythm on some of these shots than when Joel is, you know, because when Joel passes out of the post, he's pressured a lot and the passes aren't always on target. You, you wonder if there's a little bit to that or if it's just pure randomness that these shots are going in. Um, I, I wonder if there's something to that, though. I, I do think like the rhythm of, as stupid as it, it sounds, the rhythm of shooting after a post-up, especially when the passer is a little bit off tar- target, it's different than when you're kind of playing this five-out drive-and-kick style. Yeah. No, I, th- I think it could be a small part to that. And look, the, the other team is, or the other time this team really just bombed away from the perimeter was a couple years back when Embiid was out and they had that big winning streak. Granted, you had guys like Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Elisov and you had more shooting depth. Shooting like but, the ma- uh, he was like the Matrix. Like Bellinelli was taking those shots. Where he was- oh, he was completely off balance and, and, and another... <laughs> <laughs> you know, results over process, shot selection guy. But I mean, he, he was skilled enough to make those sometimes. You know, I think the major takeaway is obviously Shake. Like he, he he's got to stay in the rotation. The way he's played under poise. I, I, really, the most impressive thing to me is the fact that he dropped thirty nine on the Clippers on national TV. Came on the jump, had had his own segment on the jump, <laughs> and he came out and he's played under control these last two games. And, you know, he I think he had five turnovers against the Lakers, but he had just one turnover against the Kings. Um, he, his shot selection has been good. He's run the offense, and he hasn't let... I mean, the one we'll always go back to is after Furkan had his back-to-back 30-point games, he comes out and he's launching pull-up 30-footers <laughs> with 20 seconds on the clock. Yeah, none of those for Shake. Shake hasn't... He hasn't let that sort of seep into his mindset, and I think it's been really impressive. So, I none mean... Of those, none of those bad drives that we talked about either. He in the past had been forcing it where, yeah. you know, he's kind of got no shot. And if it's kind of a LeBron or Anthony Davis type defender, it's one I think that they could block with their elbows almost. Uh, there's yeah. been none of, yeah. none of those, man. And I think uh, even his passing in that game. He had, he had the, a couple of real nice bounce passes to divers. Oh, the one to Horford, the, the yep. wraparound left-handed one. That was chef's kiss, man. That was great pass, uh, especially at a very important time of the game because like you said, the the Kings, they might have had three runs of twelve to two or twelve. You don't win nothing. games like that usually. Yeah, and uh, and the Sixers really, you know, as much as the Kings, you know, what would they get it back down to about five or so? Yep. They never, you know, it, it felt like the game was somewhat in the balance, but they never got it to. Uh, 
it never got to as as Roger Bennett on the Men in Blazers calls it squeaky bum time when uh, when it got you know you're actually thinking oh man like this shot could could change the game completely. So there was a point like I think it was six when Tobias Harris made that pull up. And if Tobias shot. doesn't make that pull up, then I think we, we we could have gotten to the point where we were really contemplating. Like, I might have started actually deleting my game column a little bit. But uh, Tobias made that big shot, and then Horford made a couple of big plays. And yeah, they, they took control back. In his post-game video, Brett, he specifically just pointed out the shot Tobias made. Like, not even the, the strong first quarter. Tobias Harris in the first quarter, by the way, over the past few games. Knicks game, Lakers game. This this Kings game, he's been on fire coming out. He's, I wonder if he's kind of tiring as these games go along. But in that post game speech, Brett just singled out that shot. He was like, "That was they were making a huge run, and that completely got us back on track." So, yeah, big shot there. Um, and I agree with you. Got to play Shake more. Got to got to horse him. Got to ride him <laughs> as as long as possible. But. Uh, yeah, he's been awesome. The uh, one of the best, you know. After we absolutely killed Horford, that was a throwback Al Horford game again yeah. against bad competition. But holy crap, he was making every play, like winning plays. No, they got they got forty eight year old Al Horford against the Lakers and twenty eight year old Al Horford against the Kings. It was really stark the contrast. And I do love one of my, and look, Al Horford, his plus 41 was deserved. Like he made a lot of really important plays was good on both sides of the ball. Like kudos to Al. That was a really good game. I do love how Brett puts stock in this single game plus minus when they're good games. Yeah. And not so much when, you know, Al Horford's had a couple of negative 26s so far this year and you don't really hear Brett talk too much. Minus about 26 and a win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's when you know you really suck. <laughs> they still won the game. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that is true of, of not just Brett, but a lot of fans as well. Um, which is, I, I think it goes to show the plus 41 was deserved. He was, I mean, his defense was awesome. He made a couple of really good rotations that these other guys couldn't make. I love how, uh, how Brett saw like what, like two minutes of Pell and was like, all right, that's, <laughs> that's enough. That's happened a couple times now where like the first quarter he'll come out with a traditional center. Um, you know, the, the game against the Clippers, he went to O'Quinn because O'Quinn played decently against the Knicks. That didn't work, so he went to Pell these last two games. And it seems like he's trying out the traditional five in the first quarter and saying, F that, we're going small and living with the consequences. And to Mike Scott's credit, and look, we haven't had a chance to really praise Mike Scott very often this year. <laughs> to Mike he's, Scott's credit has not been a phrase that has been uttered that much this season. No, but he's he's been important these last few games. Totally, yeah, and... Again, the defense is a freaking tire fire. They compete, but they they can't stop these teams. And I thought, honestly, De'Aaron Fox should have had fifty points in that game. Even Matisse Thybul, he that dude is so fucking fast. Yep. <laughs> he is unbelievable. He's leaving these guys completely in the dust. And yeah, if I were uh, I were him, I would have had more of the Buddy Healed green light because I thought he could have just gotten to the basket whenever especially when Horford was out of the game. But, uh, yeah, feel good win for sure. All right, so we have one more game until Joe hopefully comes back. That is against the Warriors and Steph Curry, who just got significantly 
more dangerous and significantly scarier. So we will see how they perform tonight. And then you have the Pistons, Pacers, Wizards, Raptors, Hornets. So a tough game against the Raptors. A really important game against the Pacers for seeding purposes. I guess we can get into a real quick discussion of where you want the Sixers to finish in the seeding if you're looking for them to advance and who you think Sixers fans should be hoping they match up against. We had uh, Mike O'Connor recently scouted the potential matchups over at theathletic.com slash Philly. So go read that for his thoughts. And I guess we'll get a quick thought from Rich. So I think it's two different questions of where I think they should finish and where they have a chance to go the farthest. Um, To me, going the farthest would be dropping to the six seed. Because I think Milwaukee is a juggernaut. I I know, hashtag hashtag analysis. The team that's going to win 70 games is a juggernaut. I think regardless of how the Sixers match up against them, um, it's just going to be much harder to beat them than any of the other teams. I think you can even argue a team like Boston, who is has just been great this season. I know they lost against Utah because they're dealing with their own massive injury issues, although, you know, Jason Tatum and a few other guys are still playing. But Milwaukee, so if, if you want to advance, drop down to the six seed. But, but here is what, if I were kind of running them, I would be purposely tanking for that six seed. Because, number one, I think, and I've said this before, dropping to the six seed and then beating Toronto, then beating Boston, whatever order that is, and then getting your ass kicked by Milwaukee, to me, that doesn't mean much more than Maybe a few more, uh, a few more home games in Josh Harris's bank account at the end of the season. But uh, to to me, I think you just try and play the best you can. I think catching uh, Miami is going to be difficult. They did lose on Friday night in New Orleans, so Sixers gained a game there. That's good. But I think you just try as hard as you can to uh, to get the four. Or the five seed. I mean, I, I guess if you wanted to say, if you are the six, maybe, and you don't want to think like this, but it would leave Milwaukee another series to get more banged up or hurt. Maybe that's the argument there. I, I don't really think you can go by that. To me, I think you just play it as, as hard as you can and, and see if you can get up to that four line. And, you know, they are a few games behind Miami and it'll be hard, but their schedule is the easiest in the league right now. So... I would just go ahead with that. All, like literally any hard game they have to play, all of them are at home because they've lost all of them on the road already, but they've all happened. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just continue to play hard. And I think, you know, I think it's very likely they'll play Miami in the first round. I don't know where that'll be. If I had to guess, you'll probably start in Miami. But, yeah, I, I, I'm not worried about seeding because at some point you're going to have to beat the Bucks anyway. It is... There's really competing. Like you said, I think there's two different ways to answer that. Getting the farthest, I think, is is the sixth seed. I think that maximizes your chances of getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. But it also maximizes your chances of losing in the first round. Like, I think the team they match up best with right now in that first round is Miami, who is both struggling and who I think the Sixers 
have a, a, a player in Embiid that they just can't match up with. So I think there's stuff to exploit there. I think I, I pretty firmly think that that is a matchup they have the best chance of being successful against in the first round. But facing the Bucks in the second round would be hashtag tough. And again, that's why you pay us for analysis. So, like you, if, if I'm just saying, like, what's a successful season, whether you lose to Miami in the second round or the third round really doesn't matter that much. Yeah, I don't... So, but on the other hand, if you're, say, Josh Harris and you're evaluating Brett Brown's job performance, do I think that a, a, a conference finals matchup loss would look a lot better on the resume, would, would change the evaluation than losing in the second round. Yeah, like I, I think there's a case you that think? could be made for that. Really? And you if you're Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, do you feel better about yourselves and your partnership and your future together if you get into the conference finals rather than stagnating in the second round again? God, they, should, I, they shouldn't, though. They shouldn't, but I think, I think these kind of thoughts happen. I think there's emotion at play here, and you and I being able to separate ourselves logically, like the pressure on... Josh Harris to make a change if they lose in the second round will be different than the pressure on Josh Harris if they make the conference finals. And the appearance of progress will be different. And, I mean, we've seen this group, this management and ownership group, react to external pressure before. Like, we've seen, I think we've seen maybe not these stars, but stars, like, I, th- I think they want to feel good about themselves. And I think it's easier to feel good about yourself if you make the conference finals. So I think it's an interesting question. I agree with you. Like, you have to beat the Bucks if you really want the season to be a success. I wouldn't feel different if they lost to Milwaukee in six games in the second round or the third round. It doesn't change how yeah. I would feel about this team. Exactly. And and you know what I think you could evaluate on, too? Like, if they lost in a very competitive six or seven games to Milwaukee, I, I don't think that should change their analysis. But, like, what, what could change it is if Milwaukee then swept Boston in the next round. Sure. When you, you would think, okay, we might have actually had the second best team. But I think it does change it. I, I think well, not all the time, but I think frequently it does. And that's so I mean, look, stupid. If, the round. if they end up changing their evaluation of the coach because of that, okay, like the franchise will survive. But if Joe and Ben get frustrated, and that just push not even like it, it pushes them towards wanting a change, but it just adds to the level of frustration. That's the much bigger concern. And you know, yeah, three straight second round exits would be a would be tough on a superstar duo. Yeah, that's true. I just God, I think. What round the inevitable happens in just seems. It's pointless, but. Like, know. if you. Uh, to me, the, their real successful season is if they make the NBA Finals. If they don't, that is a clear tear down. Kind of, however, that happens. And I, th- I think, well, you know, if they lose in the first round of Miami, it's probably, probably a little more hashtag, uh, you know, panic time or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure if if they care, then maybe we'll see some stealth tanking going on to get down to that that six seed. I mean, they don't have to try too hard with with Embiid, and you know, I mean, some of the stealth tanking are measures that we have advocated for, like giving Al Horford a week off or something like that. And I think I think that's probably the answer. Like, do whatever you think will make your team capable of playing the best basketball in the playoffs and just don't worry about seeding too much. I think that's probably the answer. But yeah, but I but I do think part of that is like you can't just abandon 
this last stretch and just say we're going to suck. No. And to be honest, I think if, if they had the answer to this, I think they'd probably say, like, we want the four seed because they want that home court at least totally. in the first round. Yeah. But yeah. Well, off topic, what'd you, yeah. Off topic, what did you think about Brooklyn firing Kenny Atkinson? A little surprised. A little surprised. Like, if you would go back to the conversation at this time last year, like, he was really well thought of. And look, that is a team that acquired two star players, and we'll avoid that conversation for now, but acquired two very high-profile players in the offseason, one of which you knew wasn't going to play this year. And the other one has been in and out of the lineup, and when he's been in the lineup, the team has struggled. So do I think that Kenny Atkinson all of a sudden a different coach? No, not really. And you, I mean, you can draw a lot of parallels to what I'm going to say here to Brett Brown and how I view coaching in general. But what I'm surprised at is Sean Marks, I think, I have a lot of respect for him as well. And I'm surprised that there has been this kind of a reaction, not only because I thought Kenny Atkinson did a real good job in terms of developing the players they had on the roster. And in terms of what he did last year, maximizing that talent on the roster. And I don't think necessarily what happened this year was an indictment on a coach. But I'm surprised that someone like Sean Marks is reacting. Like, where's, is there pressure coming from higher up, I guess, is what I'm curious. Like, what what really instigated this change? Yeah, I was, I was pretty, especially, like, what's even the point of firing coach this time of season? I know, uh, I know the reports are that they mutually parted ways. Okay, what's the point? Um, you're telling me that Kenny Atkinson, if he felt like he was going to be around long-term, wouldn't want to coach a playoff series? Of course he would. So what's the, what's the point? I don't, it was surprising. It's funny because I just thought there were a lot of Brett parallels there with the rebuilding project he took. I mean, he started coaching them when they were absolutely screwed with draft picks. They had nothing. They, they had to take their lumps and the the good news, I guess, for him was he didn't have to tank completely. Like when they started winning, it was it wasn't like, oh man, we're screwing up our draft position because you didn't have a draft position. Um, but it, yeah, I think it it does go to show that like, man, like when when different players come in and when star players come in, it's uh it's a tricky balancing act from it's when um, from when these rebuilds start. And look, it's one that, like, I think the world of Brad Stevens. And that was a team that was in disarray, had a fractured locker room, and underperformed last year. And he, even somebody of his stature, somebody who's had the success that Brad Stevens has had, sometimes doesn't find that balancing act. It's a, coaching in the NBA is a lot more than X's nose. And it's a, it's sometimes a tough position to be in. But I like, I think Kenny Atkinson will have very little problems being employed, whether that's as a head coach or a lead assistant, I'm not sure. But I think he's pretty well regarded in the NBA. But yeah, being let go on March 7th on a team that is still at least in a playoff race, even if the expectations are pretty much eliminated, it is uh, is surprising. You you do not see that every day. Yeah. All right. I think that is a good enough place to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on. And we will talk to you soon. I'm not sure what we'll talk about on the next podcast because, as you said, there are no games to be played. So we will have to... Find some... uh will have to make some shit up. Make some shit up. If, if you have some mailbag questions, go ahead and send those in because we might need them. All right. Take care. See you, man.